living there, and he purchased the, the land again uh, from the Native Americans who, or the Native people who were, who were living there uh, at that time, back in the 1600s when he was founding the city of Philadelphia. And so uh, the place where they made the treaty, where, they, where, where he purchased this land from the Native people, was called Penn Treaty Park. And I love that because it's a picture of this kingdom idea of really treating everyone with value uh, and, and respect. You know, the, the thing that makes this remarkable, though, and it's a little bit sad, is that that is kind of unique in the story of our nation, that so many times uh, that is not how it went down. And uh, oftentimes, even when, we had, even when we had treaties like that, then those treaties were broken. Even when there was some sort of a sense of trying to honor uh, the people and the dignity of the people who were here before the Europeans, uh, the Europeans, the European Christians, uh, did not treat those people as though they were valuable, as though that they were human, as though that they had honor and dignity and respect before God. And so I don't know if you've been following any of the news lately, but it's becoming uncovered where we're finding these mass graves. Super disturbing. Uh, these mass graves of, of children, mostly. Children who were in boarding schools. Uh, and the, the lament and the deep sadness that I have as a Christian pastor is that these were Christian boarding schools. The idea was that uh, the, 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 the Native people were going to be reformed and made into, uh, given Christian culture and, and European culture uh, or American culture or Canadian culture as the case may be. And so I just think that on this day when we also celebrate our love for America, I do love America, by the way. I love living here. There are so many wonderful, beautiful things in our history and so many good things to celebrate. I'm going to play with explosives with my children tonight, okay? I'm not... Like, we're going to have fun. It's going to be great. And I want you to do that. And, and I have no judgment for that. I also don't want anybody to feel any pressure to do that. Right? Um, because I think it's important that we take time to lament some of the history of the church and some of the history in our culture. And so, if you would, uh, just as we kind of dive into this idea of hospitality and look at it through the scriptures, would you just pray with me and kind of just t- take some space? And so, Lord, we just, we just come before you recognizing that the land that we stand on um, belonged to people who were here before we were here. And really, by, by rights, by justice, it, it probably really does still belong to the Osage people and the Kickapoo people. And we are, we are here as guests on your planet on your earth that you own, God. And, uh, and we just recognize that our history is um, often disturbing. And this morning, Lord, we want to just take a moment to reflect on the ways that you have been misrepresented and the ways that you are still misrepresented, God, the ways that... Uh, Children who don't look like the majority of the people in this room are still being mistreated by our government. And we just, we just lament that fact, God. We just come before you and just say, Father, have mercy on our country. We are grieved and we're sad by the ways that America has not lived up to its highest ideals. 
and for our uh, for the ways that we've been silent about that, for the ways that we try to not talk about it because it makes us uncomfortable. We would rather continue in injustice than just be sad and change. And so, Lord, just ask uh, for your forgiveness for our country. And, Lord, we ask that this could be a place in a church that uh, doesn't shy away from the truth, that doesn't shy away from lament, where we can come to you confessing our sins, expect to be forgiven, and expect to be changed. Lord, would you call us to be a holy people who really practice your hospitality and your welcome to every, every person who walks through these doors. Lord, let, let everyone know that they are safe and loved and welcome here and that your way is a way of love and not of violence. And we just ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, let's take a look at uh, something a bit more positive. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, and do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And this is a really kind of an interesting idea. That, that former slide, I, I got a bit off track here. That former slide says that, you know, uh, I want to say some things that are positive about America. Can I tell you a story of a time I was really proud to be an American, by the way? I, I was in Philadelphia. It was after our church plant had tanked, uh, but the Pope came to visit. I, I went to see the Pope show. Uh, the Pope came to uh, Pope show. That was Pope show. Don't, <laughs> don't get it twisted. All right, so the Pope came to Philadelphia. And uh, I went to see the Pope. It was awesome. Uh, they shut down large sections of center city Philadelphia. So you imagine this urban landscape, no cars. It was just people milling and walking around. It was so beautiful. It was like so cool. And like Matt Mayer played a, a worship song. He played that uh, worship song. And people were kind of sprinkled throughout the city. It was like salt and it was like a little salt and a little yeast sprinkled through the dough. It was just like this beautiful picture of, honestly, like I felt like it was kingdom of God coming on earth. It was like so beautiful to see this city of people worshiping God. It was like that picture that is painted in Revelation. It was like I could see a glimpse of it in that moment. Anyway, the Pope was here, and he, uh, he gave a speech at Independence Hall. So that's where the, you know, the United States Constitution was uh, founded. You might not know this. Philadelphia used to be both the largest city in the United States and also the capital of the United States. And it is now neither of those things, which is kind of sad. But, um, but uh, at, and so the, the Pope like, came out to give a speech about honoring religious freedom, which I thought was really cool. But when he walked out, they played Aaron Copeland, uh, fanfare for the common man. Da-da-da, 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 da And I was just like, USA, USA! I mean, like, I just... So please don't, please don't under, misunderstand me. Like, I... I love this country. It's great. Celebrate, all right? But uh, America has some things to learn. Like, we have some deeply dark, disturbing history. And also, like, uh, I'll just say that in, in my experience in America, we mostly don't know what hospitality is. It's not that we're not very good at it. It's just like we don't really understand what hospitality is about. At least hospitality as we find it in the Bible. Just, we're just a very different culture. Right? We're just in a very different place than, uh, than the New Testament and the Old Testament scriptures and the way that hospitality was practiced 
in the Bible. And so I just kind of want to take us through a little time to kind of meditate and wrestle with that and think about that and challenge us to really evaluate, like, what does it mean to engage in a Christian, in a Christ-like model of hospitality? And so we have this verse from Hebrews saying, you know, some people had entertained angels without knowing it. Now, when I was in Bible school at Missouri State, uh, you know, a popular idea that was being tossed around in some of those classes by, frankly, what I did not think uh, were very good, uh, you know, very good scholars, uh, was that this was kind of like an an idea of that Greco-Roman influence. So if you've read uh, Greek myths, every now and then, like one of the Greek gods will kind of pretend to be a human traveler and then... Uh, either the people treat them well and it's cool, or they treat them bad and they like strike you with lightning, boom, whatever, right? Yeah. So you might be familiar with that in Greek mythology if you've seen that. Uh, some people bring that and say, okay, this is what the Bible is uh, kind of, the Bible kind of integrated that idea. Maybe they got that idea from Greek culture. You know, there might have been some conversations, there might have been some influence, but what I think this is actually kind of more referring to. Uh, is a story in Genesis 18 and 19. If you look at Genesis 18 and 19, uh, there's this story of Abraham. You, kind of, you might remember Abraham. Abraham was the guy that God called to become the nation of Israel and to become kind of the father of this nation of the Jewish people from whom Jesus is descended and uh, all those good things, and, and we inherit the covenants and all that. And, uh, and while Abraham is traveling throughout the land, he's, he's a nomad right? Like, he lives in a tent, and he, he and all his crew, his little posse, his entourage, are kind of bouncing around the, the, the land out there, and, and he's in a tent, and there are three visitors that he sees kind of close to his tent, and while they're close by, he says, hey, why don't you guys come, come over here? Come hang out in, on, under this tree with us, right? Come over here, and let me, let me bring some water. We'll wash your feet. Stay. Have a meal with us. And, and he says, go, quick, you know, kill that cow and, you know, get the milk and the, you know, these are like, this is sort of like he's rolling out the red carpet, right? He's like trying to be uh, welcoming and hospitable to these three visitors. And while the three visitors are there, it becomes that these three visitors are sort of like, probably like angels, probably like uh, the angel of the Lord, messengers from God, uh, because they say that, you know, in that inter- interchange, they say Sarah is going to become pregnant next year. Um, and, you know, Sarah laughs at it, and, and she says, I didn't laugh, and one of the guys says, no, you did. Like, kind of reading her mail. It's like kind of spooky, little, okay, all right, whatever. So, so they take care of these guys. So then they start walking towards this city called Sodom, and as they're walking towards the city towards Sodom, God speaks to Abraham and says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy Sodom because uh, they're so terrible. And Abraham kind of tries to beg God off of that, right? Like, he, he kind of wheels and deals with God. He says, well, hey, if there's 50 righteous people, will you, will you not destroy it? And, and God says, okay, for 50 righteous people. And, and, then, and so it's kind of unclear like who exactly Abraham's talking to. You should read the story. It's really good. Read Genesis 18 this week and read not, Genesis 19. But so what happens then is then and you see this, Abraham is being very hospitable to these messengers of God, right? Then in the next chapter, these messengers of God go to Sodom and uh, there's one guy, Lot, who tries to take care of them, but uh, the, everybody else in the town is, like, so twisted and evil. They threaten to do all kinds of terrible things to, uh, to these messengers. And it's a very messy story, very, uh, very disturbing in a lot of ways. But uh, the, end, the end result is that Sodom gets destroyed, right? Because Sodom was not hospitable. They were hostile to these visitors. They were hostile to these travelers. 
and they broke the customs of hospitality, uh, and God judged Sodom and Gomorrah for that abuse and that, that, uh, that mistreatment of a vulnerable traveler or a vulnerable refugee, immigrant, foreigner, as you would. Uh, we see that in the, in the Levitical codes, like in the Law of Moses, in Leviticus 19 and in Deuteronomy 10, we see these laws that say, you know, the gleaning laws, like in, in uh, Leviticus 19, that says, don't harvest to the edge of your fields, leave a little bit, don't, don't be greedy for all of that grain in your field. Leave a little bit on the edges so that the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners and aliens among you can have something to eat. You know, leave a little bit for people who are just trying to survive. It's sort of a built-in way to sort of care for people who are on the margins, to care for the vulnerable in their midst. In Deuteronomy 10, it says, uh, you know, that the Israelites are commanded um, particularly to love the stranger. And many times, our Greek word in the New Testament that, uh, that, that we often translate as uh, hospitality is actually xenophilia. And so philia would be like phileo, like love, like Philadelphia, like the city of brotherly love. Uh, phileo is, is love. Xeno is stranger. And so the word for hospitality in the New Testament, oftentimes that literal word in Greek actually literally means stranger love, love of strangers. And so that is kind of hearkening back probably to this idea in Deuteronomy. And then all throughout the prophets, we see them condemning the mistreatment of refugees, immigrants, and foreigners. And so there's this, this understanding in the ancient Near East that when people are traveling, they're in a vulnerable state. Because, you know, it's not like just hopping on a plane. Like, no, you're going to go for months, and you're going to be exposed to the elements, and you're going to be probably without your family or without all of your family and without your support network, and you're going to be in a vulnerable space, and you, you're going to need to rely on the kindness of people you've never met before in order to survive the world. And so that was kind of how things worked. There wasn't a hospitality interest industry. There wasn't Pinterest and, uh, you know, the Marriott or whatever, right? So like, and so we see that Jesus actually relies on this ministry model and he relies on this cultural norm in order to conduct ministry and in order to preach the gospel to the areas that he's doing his work. And so in Luke 10, uh, it says this, you can see this, this is what Jesus is kind of hoping for and hearkening back to uh, in Luke 10, in verse 8, it says this. It says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Uh, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And that's, you know, Jesus is relying on people who are doing healing to be able to like stay at people's houses while they're going out and healing people, all right? And then in uh, verse 11, it says, in verse 11, it says, uh, oops, hold on. Let's go back. I'm sorry. Sorry. We'll go back. Verse 10. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of our town we wipe from our feet as a warning against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. And then Jesus kind of makes a reference. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Like Jesus is saying, uh, anybody who doesn't welcome you God will judge them, right? And, and so God will, God will make it right. God will make it just. You don't have to waste your time uh, trying to push into a place where you're not welcome. Don't, don't spin your wheels. Go to the people 
who are receptive, go to the people who are welcoming, go to the people who practice hospitality, and go and stay with them and, 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 and take advantage of that hospitality so that you can heal the sick and declare that the kingdom of God has come near and, uh, and heal people, and, and people will know who I am, and people will understand me. And, so, and if they don't do that, then it will be better for Sodom that got destroyed with you know, fire from heaven uh, than it will be for those people that rejected you. And so you don't have to... You don't have to get all insecure, like, they missed it. It's not your fault, it's theirs. Let God judge them. You don't have to spin your wheels and waste your time, okay? And so then, in, uh, Jesus kind of continues down this road. So, uh, you know, I think, well, before I get there, I just want to say this. Hospitality, in all these stories, in, in the stories of the, of the disciples going out and staying with people and, and practicing the welcome of, of the kingdom, doing healing, doing deliverance, inviting people into God's leadership, and God, inviting people into God's influence and, and to allegiance with the one true God through this activity, they're kind of practicing hospitality as sojourners, right? They are guests, but they are still practicing a form of hospitality. They're welcoming people into the kingdom as they travel, even as they don't really have a house over their heads, except that they're kind of couch surfing throughout the throughout the Mediterranean. The same way that Abraham was living in a tent when he welcomed those three visitors, when he welcomed the messengers of God, and he welcomed them. He, he wasn't established. He wasn't the owner of any town. He was walking by faith. He was the sojourner in the land. And, and in this next story that we're going to look at, the Good Samaritan, again, that's another story of a traveler who practices hospitality with someone else on the road. And so, I think what the Bible is trying to say to us, what God wants to say to us today is that hospitality is a lot less about space, about having like a really cool house or like a really cool backyard or something like that. Uh, it's, it's not about having Pinterest-worthy food for your guests. It's not about, uh, you know, having really cool things for them to do and all that. That's, that's missing the point, right? That is consumeristic American folk religion, uh, that, isn't, that isn't what hospitality is really about, the hospitality industry. Now, hospitality is, uh, you know, the, the word that we use for hospitality is also the root word that gives us the word hospital. It's also the, it's also the, the word that gives us hospice. And so I, hospice, if you're not familiar, is the, is the kind of care that takes care of people who are going to die. And it's a, it's a philosophy of care that says we're not going to try to prolong life. We're going to care for you at the end of your life. And we're going to let you die with dignity and give you care and try to make you comfortable and, uh, and, and walk through that uh, with grace and with kindness and care. Uh, hospitals are where sick people go to experience hospitality, to experience care uh, for, their, for their illness, right? And so... Uh, hospitality is a lot less about these things. Uh, th those things can be helpful. Those things can be great. I mean, I'm not down. Like, if you got an awesome house, great. Use it to be hospitable. Like, make your house as comfortable as possible, right? Uh, you know, I don't, and I will say this. You know, like, a heart of care for other people and attention to other people will lead you to clean your house before people come over. Like, that's not wrong, right? Like, because you care, 
that you don't want people to be sitting in a bunch of animal hair. Like you want them to feel, <laughs> you want them to feel comfortable. You don't want it to smell bad in the bathroom. You don't want to have your underwear out, you know, like and where people can see it. Like that's awkward. You, if you care about other people, you will, you put a little effort into the space. Like I'm not saying there's no overlap here, but but it's not about those things as much as it is about giving attention and care to people. Being hospitable is making space for people to be, and for people to be weak, for people to be needy, for people to experience our care and our attention. That's what hospitality is really about, and we can do that in a lot of creative and interesting ways when we kind of start to understand that. And so, you know, just looking at this this, uh, parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, the whole parable of the Good Samaritan is in response to a question that this person asks uh, in Luke 10, 29, uh, this guy asked this. There, there's this guy, he's asking, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, you know, and the guy says, yeah, well, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, of course, you've answered correctly. Go and do this. If you do this, you'll live, right? If you do this, you'll be, you'll be good. You'll live and you'll be, you'll be all right. Uh, but the man wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so then Jesus tells the, the parable of the Good Samaritan in response to that. You know, I'll just say this. Beware of wanting to justify yourself. Whenever you're wanting to justify yourself, you're probably on shaky ground. It's probably because you know that something's wrong, right? Like if you, you know your heart's not right, you know that something's a bit off course, trying to justify yourself. And so honestly, so much of our discussions about justice and politics and all that, all, so much of that exists, especially in social media, so much of that exists in the space of trying to justify ourselves and not from a place of listening or making space for people or hospitality. Not, not really trying to understand people, just like, hey, this is why I'm right and you're wrong. Right? Like so much, especially if anything kind of, of a political discussion happens that way. Unfortunately, a lot of spiritual discussions also kind of take that, kind of take that uh, modality. And so uh, I just say, like, don't, don't be that guy. Don't be a person trying to justify yourself. Trust in the hospitality of God. Well, Jesus then tells the story of the, uh, of the Good Samaritan, and, and you know how it goes. The guy gets robbed. And uh, he's like dead on the, you know, almost dead on the road, you know, naked and bleeding and you know, really in trouble, right? Uh, and then uh, a priest walks by. You should think that the priest would stop and help him, but the priest doesn't stop and help him. And a, a scribe or a teacher of law, you know, like a theologian or some, you know, somebody who should know better uh, and also like is, you know, respected, knows the right things about God, knows, knows the truth, you know, we would say is an orthodox person, maybe like a pastor or like a, a renowned teacher, you know, somebody you respect who speaks on the radio or something like that. Like, you know, a couple of those people walk by and they don't take care of the guy. But then a Samaritan, now a Samaritan, Jesus is being very intentional here. I think it's becoming a lot more common that people know that a Samaritan is an enemy of the Jewish people. This is like a suspicious person. This is somebody who's not your nationality. This is a foreign a person who's loyal to a foreign power, right? So they kind of have some of that. And worse, they're heretics. The Samaritans 
had bad theology. Jesus himself said it, even while he was welcoming the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, he said, you know, like, salvation is from the Jews and we worship what we know. But a time is coming when you will worship, worship God, neither on this mountain nor in the temple, but, uh, but in spirit and in truth. And, and so Jesus, in choosing the Samaritan as the hero of his story, he's really pushing, he's poking the prejudice of the people listening to him and the prejudice of the man who wants to justify himself and saying that person with bad theology, that foreigner, uh, took care of the man and bandaged his wounds and took care of him. And he didn't, he didn't disrupt his whole life. He didn't make his whole life about caring for this sick person that he found on the road, but he went out of his way and he, took, he, he made space for this guy and he took care of him and practice hospitality uh, in caring for his needs. And then Jesus asks the question after he tells the parable uh, in Luke, or sorry, yes, in Luke 10.36, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And so Jesus flips the question. Rather than asking, who is my neighbor? Who am I obligated to? Who do I have to be kind to and practice welcome with? Uh, Jesus at, flips the question and says, who was a neighbor? Who was neighborly? Who was neighbor-like? Who was kind? Who was hospitable in that story? Well, of course, it was the one who showed him kindness. And so even if those people are different than us, we have to, uh, we have to recognize that righteousness doesn't know the boundaries of nationality, ethnicity, honestly, sometimes not even theology. And so the thing I want, that I want us to take away from this is uh, you know, we cannot be followers of Jesus if we do not embrace difference. Jesus, in everything he does, he embraces difference. He embraces people who should not be welcome. That's what he is all about. And if we're going to be effective at being a witness to our community, uh, we have to remain in this posture of learning and be, you know, centered set, like last week, right? Like, we're just, we're going to just take one step closer and just keep taking one step closer. So the reason we're singing songs in English and in Spanish today, even though we're like a mostly white congregation, I'm not sure anybody is like a native Spanish speaker here, the reason we're trying to do some of those things is that we're kind of really trying to be systemic and think creatively about how can we decenter whiteness in our church? How can we be people for whom Jesus is the thing that unites us and draws us together in a way that is welcoming to everyone? How can we grow in really trying to make sure that everyone feels welcome at the table? And I think of, I think of my brother Gino, who's an African-American vineyard pastor. He says, you know, there's a difference between saying you can come here and this was built with you in mind. There's a real difference there, and people will feel that. And so we want to be a church that builds a culture and a community with people who aren't here yet in mind. And that's why we're, that's why we're trying to do some of those things. That's why we're trying to work on this. Because we have to go through a conversion experience when it comes to hospitality and when it comes to this kind of stuff. We, we have to first change our thinking, right? That's, that's important. 
And then we have to, we have to kind of work emotionally through some things, right? Like that's why we're kind of really hitting this lament drum lately. And it's just important to kind of work emotionally through the changes that we're making upstairs so that it can really sink into the heart so we can kind of really feel. And I just don't believe that we will be the church that we want to be until we are grieved by who is not at the table. Like, we have to feel that. We have to feel the longing for people who are not yet a part of our community to join the community. I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about tokenism and, and that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not, I'm not talking about, I'm just saying that, like, there are people in our community who need to know that God loves them, and they're not here yet. And we have to feel that if we're going to be motivated and have our hearts in the right place to be able to be warm and welcome people and say from a place of honesty, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you made it. I'm so glad you popped in. Oh, I'm so glad you visited. I'm so glad you listened to that. What, I, I'm so, would you, it, would, it would honor me if you would join me at my house. Look, quick, here, let me bring water. Let me, get the, let me get the milk. Let me get the craft beer. Let me get the whatever. Like, let's welcome people. Right? Let's be kind and welcoming to all kinds of people that are in our lives because I believe that God's heart is sad at who's not at the table. And we want to be a community that welcomes people. And so we have to embrace difference if we're going to do that. And we have to be open to whoever God would send us. All right, we're going to land in Luke 7. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but there's another story where you can kind of see some of these themes of like what hospitality is really about and what welcome is really about in this story. The kids are reading this one upstairs too, but it really fits well with, I think, the positive vision of what God is calling us into this morning. And so uh, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I'm going to face this way so I can see the screen. Uh, A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair. And she kissed them and she poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. Uh, pause here for a second. A denarii, that's like a day's wages. So I don't know what you make in a day at your job, but maybe think about it as like, um, you know, a day's wages. So like maybe 100 or $200, right? So like you owe somebody 500 days wages, like it would take you a year and a half to pay that off. Uh, or, like, that's, that's, that's a lot of money, right? So maybe whatever you make at your job in a day, multiply that by 500, okay? So think about it that way, maybe, right? Um, 500 denarii, the other owed him 50, right? Now, 50 is still a good sum of money, right? That's not, that's not a small amount of money. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, those are both big Amounts of forgiveness, right? I mean, that's still like 50 days wages, that, like a month and a half of wages or two months wages and, you know, a year and a half of wages. Those, both of those are very large sums of money. If you were forgiven those things, 
hopefully both of those people would feel very grateful. They would feel gratitude, right? But Jesus asked the question, which one would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love so many things about this story. There's so many really beautiful, just like nuances. And I think if we kind of understand a little bit about this theme of hospitality in, throughout the scriptures, it kind of unlocks some things. We can kind of see some things from some different angles. So like, yeah, okay, obviously these guys are being hospitable towards Jesus. They're throwing a party for Jesus. But they didn't follow the custom of providing some water for the, I mean, like even Abraham did that when he was out in the woods, right? Like this is like a very basic, like you, you this is a norm. Like you, when you, somebody comes over, you, you help them with their feet. Like you make, a, you make sure they feel welcome. And so then, and the, but this woman comes in and she, she gets it, right? She gets who Jesus really is. And Jesus just stops the party and in his authority as the son of God points to her and says, this woman welcomes me better than y'all did. This woman received me with hospitality better than you all did because something greater than an angel is present at this Pharisee's house. Jesus is here. And Jesus was often not welcomed. Jesus was often not given proper hospitality, not given proper welcome, especially by the people who should have welcomed him with the greatest enthusiasm. But this woman understands who she is and, what, and who Jesus is and is able to offer that welcome. And it is powerful. It is amazing. And really the gospel here is that Jesus welcomes all kinds of sinners. He welcomes everybody. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're into or what you're doing, that you're still not sure how to turn the corner from that. If you're stuck, guess what? Jesus still welcomes you. If you're hurting, if you're broken, if you're sad, if you're stuck, if, you, if you've done something that's really wrong, if you've done a lot of things that are really lo- wrong for a really ro- long time, you've led a sinful life, Jesus will forgive us and welcome us and bring us home. And that is good news. That's, that's the kind of hospitality that Jesus offers to people who are willing and able to be honest about our many sins. And maybe some of us owe 50 days wages. Maybe some of us owe 500 days wages. Maybe some of us owe a lot more. But the 
point is, is that when we're honest about our need for God and our need for his hospitality, he welcomes us. He welcomes us into his presence and brings us home. And we find comfort and peace there. And so we have to become people who are very intentional about resetting our default settings as Americans. Our default settings that we inherit from our culture don't really do hospitality. They're just a bit off. Like they're a bit warped by consumerism, uh, maybe warped by racism or fear, uh, maybe warped by all kinds of things, class status, all of that. And so we have to come to Jesus and we have to talk to him about those things. And we have to let him get in there and change the advanced settings to reset some of our, some of our presets to make us hospitable people. And I believe that when we do that, God will empower us to practice this welcome of the kingdom, to welcome people into community with God in meetings like this, at, at our job, to practice hospitality while we sojourn wherever we find ourselves. And it is that welcome that we mean to engage in and enjoy this morning. So would you stand?